0: The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It does not constitute legal or other professional advice. No one connected with this podcast can be responsible for your use of the information discussed. The views expressed are those of the podcaster and do not represent the opinions of any other person or entity. These views are subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Welcome to LEAF, Legal Issues in Policing, a podcast blending the demands of the book with the rulings from the bench through the lens of the bag. Police officers with a solid understanding of the law and their legal powers are more confident, competent, and effective. Each and every episode will examine a legal issue in policing by reviewing current Canadian criminal case law from coast to coast to coast. Be prepared to uncover a legal lesson that will improve your decision-making. Now let's leap in. Hello everyone, my name is Mike Novikoski, your podcast host, and you are listening to The Leap, legal issues in policing. Thank you all for tuning in. In this episode, we are going to look at a British Columbia Court of Appeal case entitled R.V. Choi, cited as 2021 B.C.C.A. 410. But before we delve into this case, we must first consider two Supreme Court of Canada decisions. In episode two, I discussed the 2022 Supreme Court of Canada reasoning in R.V. Alley, a strip search case and its ancestor, R.V. Golden. Combining Alley and Golden, we now apparently have a settled framework for strip searches as an incident to arrest. The police can conduct a warrantless strip search of a person incidental to an arrest provided four criteria are satisfied. Number 1, the arrest must be lawful. Number 2, the search must be conducted as an incident to the arrest. Strip searches cannot be carried out as a matter of routine policy. Instead, the police must have a valid law enforcement objective in mind when conducting the search, such as searching for evidence related to the reason for the arrest or searching for weapons to ensure the safety of the police. The arrestee or other persons. Number three, the police must have reasonable and probable grounds for concluding that a strip search is necessary in the particular circumstances of the arrest. This requires the police to establish reasonable grounds for a strip search beyond the reasonable grounds justifying the arrest. These additional grounds are met for a strip search where there is some evidence suggesting the possibility of concealment of weapons or other evidence related to the reason for the arrest. And finally, number four, the search must be conducted in a reasonable manner. This includes the requirement that the strip search be conducted at the police station, unless there are exigencies why it should be done outside the station or in the field. Furthermore, the Supreme Court established a framework or set of guidelines a court must consider in deciding whether a strip search was conducted reasonably. These were all reviewed in Episode 2. Most law enforcement officers understand that a strip search does not require having someone completely undressed standing in front of them. In fact, having someone drop their pants so you can see their underwear in private areas covered by it would be a strip search. Genitals or anal regions need not be uncovered and exposed to view. Just ask Vancouver lawyer Ellen Cameron Ward, who was required to remove all of his clothes except for his underwear after he was arrested for breach of the peace and taken to the police jail. He received five grand as a remedy for his troubles when he brought an action against the police for breaching his Section 8 charter rights, an award that was upheld by the Supreme Court of Canada. Sometimes a strip search occurs when the police don't remove clothing. Manually pulling back a person's pants and underwear to visually inspect their buttocks or groin area can also amount to a strip search. In the Golden case, an officer undid Golden's pants and pulled them back along with his long underwear when the officer saw a clear plastic wrap protruding from Golden's buttocks as well as a white substance within the wrap. This was one of three strip searches conducted on Golden the Supreme Court ruled. But what exactly constitutes a strip search when only underwear are seen, without exposure of a private area? If an officer manipulates clothing and exposes underwear, will that always be considered a strip search? Or does it depend on what part of the underwear or what part of the body covered by the underwear is seen? As a starting point to help answer these questions, the Supreme Court in Golden adopted the following description in defining a strip search. I quote, The removal or rearrangement of some or all of the clothing of a person so as to permit a visual inspection of a person's private areas, namely genitals, buttocks, breasts in the case of a female." or undergarments, end quote. Just last year in 2021, British Columbia's Court of Appeal was tasked with deciding whether a man charged with possessing drugs for the purpose of trafficking had been strip searched. Mr. Choi had been arrested after police saw apparent drug trafficking activity involving a vehicle in which he was a front seat passenger. An officer saw Choi manipulating something around his pocket or pants. A small package believed to be drugs was seen between Choi's legs on the car seat. Choi was handcuffed, advised of his rights to counsel, and cautioned. In response, Choi asked to speak to a lawyer. When Choi was patted down, an officer felt a soft bulge in his jacket pocket. The officer asked, What is that? Choi replied that it was more stuff. Suspecting Choi meant drugs, the officer removed a sandwich bag from Choi's jacket pocket. The bag contained 44 color-coded packages of cocaine, methamphetamine, and a heroin and fentanyl mixture. This type of bag is commonly referred to as a dealer pack. The jacket also contained a wallet, $70 in cash, which was not in the wallet, and some marijuana. The small package that had been seen between Choi's legs on the car seat turned out to contain a 0.29 gram mixture of heroin and fentanyl, so it was a relatively small amount. Choi was transported to the police station where his handcuffs were removed and he was directed to stand facing the wall with his hands against it. Using gloved hands, the officer lifted Choi's shirt up to the mid-chest area to see if there was anything in it. When this was done, a small part of his underwear's waistband was visible above the waistband of his pants. The officer pulled the elastic waistband of Choi's underwear slightly away from his body, ran his fingers around it, and visually inspected it to check for hidden items such as weapons and drugs. In doing so, the officer could see the top of Choi's underwear all the way around his waist. The officer then let go of the waistband and felt down each of Choi's legs. His pants pockets were inspected and the search was over. The waistband part of the search only took about 10 seconds, the whole physical search about 35 seconds, and the entire booking-in process lasted about 6 minutes. Nothing was found in the course of this search. The area where the search occurred was monitored by a video recording camera that broadcast to another room containing several monitors. Choi, along with the driver of the vehicle, was charged with three counts of possessing controlled substances for the purpose of trafficking. At trial in BC Provincial Court, the officer conducting the search at the police station testified that a waistband of underwear, similar to that of pants, creates tension and he inspects it as a place where items might be hidden. He said this was the kind of search he would regularly do for anyone going into cells and that it was his obligation to check the waistband. He said he holds back the waistband slightly as he performs a search to look where his fingers are going as he runs them along the waistband because he does not want to stick his fingers where he cannot see just in case he is about to be poked by a needle. The officer testified that he did not understand this search nor intended it to be a strip search. Nevertheless, the judge concluded that this search of the underwear in the fashion it was conducted fit the definition of a strip search. The trial judge stated, and I quote, I accept that a strip search includes the rearrangement of clothing to allow a visual inspection of underwear and does not require that clothing be removed, end quote. The judge went on to hold that the strip search was unreasonable and breached Section 8 of the charter because the officer did not comply with the golden framework for strip searches. The judge also ruled the search was very serious charter infringing conduct. The strip search occurred in the booking area, was recorded, and was broadcast to a monitor in another room so it was potentially visible to others, even though there was no evidence that any other person saw the video or was in the room. Although the officer himself was a supervisor, he did not get authorization from his own supervisor for the search, and there was no independent grounds to justify it. And the officer followed the same procedure he had always done, as was his practice for some 15 years, so there was undoubtedly many similar strip searches conducted on other people. Moreover, the officer had no training regarding strip searches. The judge found it alarming that the officer was not properly trained, or trained at all, in respect of strip searches, and he was very critical of the RCMP and its failure to provide any meaningful training on what the judge described as an incredibly common part of a police officer's duties. The judge also found the police breached Choi's Section 10b right to counsel. Remember, Choi asked to speak to a lawyer when arrested, but the officer nevertheless asked what was in his pocket during the pat-down. In the judge's view, the police failed in their implementational duty under Section 10b of the charter to hold off asking potentially incriminating questions. The officer agreed that the bulge was soft as opposed to being hard, like a weapon. The judge said there was no evidence to suggest that the officer even had a suspicion the bulge was a weapon, and the officer expected an inculpatory response when he asked the question. As a result of the Section 8 strip search violation and the Section 10b right-to-counsel violation, the judge excluded the drugs found in Choi's jacket on the pat-down. That was the 44 color-coded packages of drugs. However, the single package of drugs that was seen between Choi's legs and recovered from the car that contained 0.29 grams of the heroin-fentanyl mixture was admitted as evidence. This small package of drugs, along with Choi's later admission after he spoke to a lawyer that he was selling drugs that day, resulted in a conviction for possessing drugs for the purpose of trafficking, and he was sentenced to 18 months incarceration followed by 12 months of probation. Choi appealed his conviction to the B.C. Court of Appeal, suggesting, in part, that the small packet of drugs found in the car also should have been excluded as evidence. Choi's appeal, interestingly, provided Crown Counsel with the opportunity to challenge the trial judge's ruling that a strip search had even occurred. Justice Dixon, delivering the three-member Court of Appeal's unanimous decision, concluded that the search of Mr. Choi was not a strip search and the trial judge got it wrong in concluding otherwise. Justice Dixon said this, and I quote, As I see it, to fall within the Golden definition, a search must involve the removal or rearrangement of clothing so as to permit an inspection of the private areas of the body of an arrestee, whether those areas are fully exposed or they are covered by undergarments alone, In this case, there was no visual inspection of an arrestee's genital or anal areas such that the safeguards put in place by Golden to protect personal privacy and dignity were required. Even though the meaning of a strip search contemplates the inspection of undergarments, it only applies where the private areas of the body to be visually searched remain covered by undergarments. Although the officer did rearrange choice clothing and visually inspect the waistband of his underwear, the officer did not inspect his genital or anal area, either covered or uncovered. Justice Dixon added, I quote, Undergarments may well cover private areas of a person's body, but they are not, in and of themselves, a person's private areas. In my view, when the reasons in Golden are read as a whole, it is apparent that the visual inspection contemplated by the definition is an inspection of private areas of the body, whether those body areas are exposed or covered by undergarments. It follows that the salient consideration when a court determines whether a search falls within the definition of a strip search is the private nature of the body area in question, not the nature of a garment worn under an outer layer of clothing." Since the search in this case involved a visual inspection of a non-private area of the body covered by an undergarment, there was no strip search. The officer intentionally limited his visual inspection of Choi's body to his waistline area, which is not a private area. Unless the area of the body inspected is inherently private, whether exposed or covered by an undergarment, the search will not fall into the category of a strip search and the additional safeguards will not apply. As for whether the Golden Guidelines apply to the search of choice underwear in this fashion, Justice Dixon put it this way, quote, It would be impractical to require arresting officers to seek prior authorization from a senior officer or risk committing a Section 8 charter violation whenever they conduct a search incident to an arrest that may expose any part of an arrestee's underwear. It is also unnecessary to treat every search in which any part of an arrestee's underwear is rendered visible as a strip search and apply the additional safeguards described in Golden in order to protect Canadian citizens from undue exposure to inherently humiliating and degrading searches at the hands of police, end quote. And there was nothing inherently humiliating or degrading about the search in this case, given its limited nature and the context in which it took place, as part of a standard booking-in procedure at police cells. Choi's appeal against his conviction was dismissed. So what are some of the legal lessons we can learn from this case and others like it? Number 1. Just because you see a person's undergarments does not mean you are conducting a strip search. It depends on whether or not the undergarment portion you are viewing is in fact covering a person's private area. Viewing a person's undergarments will not amount to a strip search when the viewed portion of the undergarments is not covering a private area. Viewing a person's undergarments will amount to a strip search when the viewed portion of the undergarments does cover a person's private area. In this case, the trial judge took the Supreme Court's definition of a strip search, which includes the rearrangement of some or all of the clothing of a person so as to permit a visual inspection of a person's undergarments. Literally. To think that lifting a person's shirt so that the waistband of their underpants is exposed above their belt line would amount to a strip search is perplexing. I recall arresting people who loved to make the fashion statement known as sagging, Sagging is a manner of wearing pants or jeans that sag so that the top of the trousers or jeans is below the waist, sometimes revealing much of the wearer's underpants. Many times I would have a person who I was booking into cells remove their jacket or coat, which could expose their underwear waistband. I would even run my fingers around the waistband to ensure there were no weapons or contraband being introduced into the cell block that could threaten jail personnel or be used by the arrestee for self-harm. I wasn't visually inspecting their private areas. To suggest this was some sort of strip search is absurd. Number 2. A proper and thorough search of an arrestee may involve the exposure of their underwear at the waistband without the viewing of their private areas. This is important because your safety and the safety of others who come in contact with an arrestee demand such a thorough search, and it may also result in the recovery of evidence related to your arrest. This case makes clear that such a viewing of undergarments without viewing a private area covered by the undergarment will not constitute a strip search and compliance with the Golden Framework will be unnecessary. Number three, asking an arrestee a question after they've invoked their Section 10B right to counsel can be a charter breach. In this case, the trial judge concluded that when the officer asked Troy what was in his pocket, the question did not relate to officer safety. The officer expected an inculpatory answer when he questioned him about the bulge in his jacket. Number four, judges can and do get it wrong. Judges make errors of law with very serious consequences, including excluding evidence on a botched charter breach ruling. In this case, the trial judge rejected the trial crown submission that lifting up Choi's shirt to inspect his waistband was a grey area of the law. The judge concluded that the golden definition patently included the visual inspection of undergarments. In fact, the judge said the law relating to strip searches is not new. It was something the police officer should have known and if he had been properly trained, he would have known. He said the officer misunderstood the nature of his search and even went so far as to say that such searches should not involve lifting or rearranging clothing. He ruled there was nothing in the law or the facts of this case to suggest the search that occurred here was a legal grey area. He was right, but it was the judge who messed up. As the Court of Appeal properly corrected him, this was not a strip search. Ironically, however, all of the judge's comments about how seriously the police violated Choi's rights were never applied to how he botched up his decision-making process. Instead, he was found to have simply erred. An error which thankfully was corrected by the appellate court. But this was not the end of the case. Choi didn't give up. When his conviction appeal failed, he moved on to a sentence appeal in 2022. He appealed the 18-month sentence imposed by the trial judge. Instead of serving the 18 months, Choi wanted only a suspended sentence with three years probation on strict terms. And if that wasn't going to fly, as a backup, he proposed a sentence of only six months imprisonment. But B.C.'s Court of Appeal left the 18-month sentence intact. B.C. case law has established a generally applicable sentencing range starting at 18 months' imprisonment for first-time offenders who engage in street-level trafficking of fentanyl. This starting point recognizes the gravity of the offense, the high moral culpability that attaches to its commission, and the catastrophic individual and societal harm that has been caused by the introduction of opioids into the illicit drug trade. However... Sentencing ranges are tools, not judicial straitjackets. Sentencing is an individual process that takes account of the unique circumstances of the offense and the offender, and how the objectives of sentencing can best be achieved in a given case. In exceptional circumstances, a sentence may depart from the generally applicable range. In this case, the trial judge found choice circumstances were not exceptional and did not justify departing from the starting range. The trial judge did not err in principle by not imposing a sentence below the bottom end of the starting range, nor had Choi demonstrated that the sentence was unfit. Choi's appeal against his sentence was also dismissed. If you think this podcast would interest others, I would ask that you share this with at least three colleagues. And if you have a topic you would like discussed in a future episode, you can email me at legalissuesinpolicing@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's legalissuesinpolicing@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And remember, be careful what you practice. You might get good at it. Be smart and stay safe.